We've been uh, on this little mini journey through uh, the, uh, the book of Colossians. Uh, the church at Colossae was a wonderful church. It was a young church uh, spiritually, uh, but we found that in chapter one, Paul acknowledges that this church had a love for Jesus Christ and for all the people of God, and they had great faith in Christ. So it, although they were a young church, they had great faith in Christ, they had a love for all of the people, but because it was a young church, it was not without its problems. Uh, I would add that it doesn't matter whether you're young or old as a church, you're always gonna have issues in church. Uh, the church is not made up of uh, people that are perfect. We all are a work in progress, and because we're not perfect, the church can't be perfect, all right? So, so this church had some issues, and we found out in chapter two that some of the issues were that the people were trying to bring in teachings and traditions that sounded good, but really were not scriptural and would mislead the people away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, which also leads me to this other thought that came to me is, it doesn't matter uh, what the church is like, until the Lord returns, there will always be people who will try to bring in teachings or traditions that while sounding good, will mislead the church. So we all have to be guarded by that. We all have to know God's word. We all have to follow the, the, the leadership as far as what we believe God is calling us to do here. Uh, and so Paul now, as he continues in this letter, trying to teach the church the truth, now he comes to a point where he lays out a, a blueprint for what I have called practical Christianity. That's the title of our message this morning, Practical Christianity. And by that, I simply mean this. This is how we have to be, uh, believe in Jesus Christ and how we have to now structure our life, how we should live our life once we've said yes to Jesus Christ becoming our Savior. Uh, see, in other words, it's important that we realize this morning that being a Christian is not about theology. This is what theoretically I believe. In other words, let me, it's a big word, but it simply means this. I can believe a lot of things, but the issue is, am I living what I believe? There are a lot of people that believe, have a theology. They have a belief that this is how, what it means to be a Christian. But then the question is, does it line up with the way that we are actually living? And so we want not th theology or theoretically, we want sen sensibility. We want to be able to say this in a practical way of how I embrace Christianity, I embrace Christ as my savior, and now I'm learning the truth of God's word, and so this is how I should be living my life. This is what my life should be looked at when someone else examines it and determines whether I am truly a Christian or not. Because it's not enough to say we're a Christian, we've gotta live it. How many of you say amen to that? Okay, so now let's look at chapter three the first 17 verses. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of his creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, everybody say therefore with me. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together, all, all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, that was a lot to read. But it's important that I, I give you a, a full picture of what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. He begins by saying that now that we are raised with Christ, and what Paul was talking about is once we embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior, we now receive life because we receive the Spirit of God that begins to dwell in our spirit. And so we are raised to a new life, that we are no longer living the old sinful life, but now we have been raised to, with Christ in this new life that we are beginning this wonderful spiritual journey. And as Christians, notice that Paul said, we need to set our hearts and our minds on things above. We need to set our hearts and our minds on things above. What does that mean? You see, practical Christianity is about perspective. It's about 
viewing our life not from an earthly perspective, but from a heavenly perspective. Viewing our life. It's about living our life from heaven's point of view. If I could break it down even more, practical Christianity means setting our hearts and minds on things above, which means we get direction for everyday life from Jesus Christ and not from this world. And when we receive that direction and when we follow it, Paul goes on to say in verse of Four, then when Christ is, your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So in other words, when we receive direction from the Lord, why? Because we have set our hearts, that's our emotions, uh, we have set our mind, our thoughts, when we have set our whole being on things above, our focus is looking at our life, not from an earthly point of view, but from a spiritual, heavenly point of view, where our eyes are looking toward the Lord, who is this great shepherd we were singing about earlier. When we do that, we receive direction from him for everyday life. And when we obey that, then, come on, say then with me. Then that means, and it means you first have to be living right before God. You first have to set your mind on the things above. You have to set your heart on the things above. You have to receive and follow those directions. When you do that, then when Christ appears, you will also appear with him in glory. In other words, what Paul is saying is that practical Christianity how we live everyday life is really what determines our eternal destiny. You see, well, again, I, I want to make sure you understand this because some people believe, well, I, I embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior and they write in their Bible or they write in some, some note somewhere where they have a date. Uh, on June the 1st in 2021, I said yes to Jesus Christ. I embrace Christ as my Savior, therefore I am saved. And they equate that as my eternal security has been now taken care care of. I now am a Christian. I'm a child of God. I am now going to go to heaven because I've embraced Christ as their Savior. And while that sounds good, it is not scriptural. It is not enough to just say yes to Christ. See, that's just the first step. That's just putting the key in the door. And on the other side is eternity with Christ. See, you have to turn the key, open the door, and walk through. And what I'm, what I'm getting at is we can't just say yes to Jesus and then think we could live as we please and still go to heaven. No, no, See, practical Christianity isn't about you just saying yes to Jesus and then living your life as you see fit from an earthly point of view. No, eternal security is conditioned upon you and I living this practical Christianity where we're receiving direction from the Lord and we're obeying that direction. Because again, it's not enough just to hear from God. What good is hearing from God if we don't follow God? If we don't obey what we hear? Then we're just deceiving ourselves, you see. And so, in this practical Christianity, 
I want to break down what this looks like. What does it look like to set your, 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 your mind and your heart on things above? What does practical Christianity look like according to this chapter as Paul lays it out? Here's the first thing that we find. There's got to be a putting to death or slash getting rid of. That's the first step. Notice that Paul talks about this in verses 5 through 9, where Paul said, you got to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he goes on to name some of it. This is not an all-inclusive list, but listen to what he's talking about. You got to get rid of sexual immorality, which means you can't be a Christian and live as you please. Listen, there's no such thing as a godly man and woman that are living together and not married. You're deceiving yourself if you're thinking you're in the right place before God. I'm not saying that. The word of God is saying that. Paul said, you got to put that to death. You got to get rid of that stuff. You, you can't be a follower of Jesus Christ or proclaim to be one and then engage in sexual immorality and impurity and lust. Let's talk about pornography and all that other kind of evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Don't be greedy. Recognize we all have a measure of all of this in our sinful nature, every single one of us. It's part of this sinful nature that we're all born with. Don't tell me you're not a greedy person. Of course you are a greedy person. Every one of us is. We all have these things floating inside of us. Paul said, get rid of all of these things. Why? Because the wrath of God is coming on this. Paul said, you used to live that way, but you're not supposed to live that way anymore. You also got to get rid of the other things, anger, is that not really relevant for today? Are we not living in the age of anger? And Paul said, you call yourself a Christian? You identify with Jesus Christ? You got to put that to death. Don't give me that stuff that, well, but, but I, I deserve to be angry. I have a right to be angry. No, you don't. You, don't have, you have a right to be angry if you're looking at this life from earth's point of view. But if you're looking at it from a heavenly point of view, the word of God said, you got to get rid of that. Get rid of that anger. Get rid of that rage. That road rage. Uh-oh. Malice. That means you wanting to do somebody harm. You have a picture beating up on somebody? We laugh. But don't think because you haven't done it that it's no, not sinful. Because Jesus said, if you think it in your heart, you're already guilty. Oh, I got to repent. I've thought many times about beating up on my wife. You see, I'm the only honest one. All of you laugh, but you're right there with me. All you husbands, I know you. And wives, come on. How many times have you envisioned? Just one time, guys. Let me just choke him one time. Get rid of that malice. <laughs> Slander. Filthy language. You know, filthy language doesn't have to be cursing. We're using social media these days to express our words. And there are words where you're cutting somebody down. That's filthy language. It will not be found among the people of God. See, what, what Paul is saying, that in this practical Christianity, you got to realize you got to deal with 
behavior that is sinful. You have to turn away and put that thing to death. You have to get rid of that thing from your lifestyle. And that's something that you and I never fully accomplish. Don't think that you've arrived. There's no one in this room that is angel. There's no one perfect. We all have things going on inside that we know because he tells us, you got to get rid of that thing. You got to get rid of that attitude. You got to get rid of that relationship. You see, and the, 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 this practical Christianity begins with you and I receiving from God that direction and then obeying that. Because if we don't, what winds up happening when our hearts are not set on things above, when our minds are not on, on heaven's point of view in life, then those things find their place in our heart and in our mind. Because we're looking at life from an earthly perspective. And we begin to subtly do things that are totally unscriptural. And we embrace them because they sound so right. I have a right to do this. I have a right to do this. I got to watch out for myself. If nobody does it, who's going to do it? And I'm, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. And the next thing you know, you find yourself either actually doing something physically or using your lips. And by lips, I also mean social media these days. And you begin to say and do things that are totally unscriptural. Amen. And that's why Paul said, you want to get ready for the Lord's return? You want to call yourself a Christian? Then you got to start living like one. I believe in this age of rage and anger and malice, the church holds the key to turning it around. Do you know why? because the infection is already in the church. And if the church would cleanse itself of it, then we could be the shining light in this world that we're supposed to be. Because in truth, people don't wanna live in an angry world. People don't wanna live in a world where there's malice and slander. None of us do. We don't wanna be the recipient of it and we don't really wanna give it out. We want peace. We wanna enjoy life. And so the church is supposed to be that beacon of light. They're saying, in God's house, it's different. But let me ask you, if our behavior isn't different than anybody else that doesn't know Christ, why would somebody want to become a Christian? If our church is full of anger and spewing out all kinds of stuff, and our, and our friends and family that are not saved are seeing this on social media, the things that we post, well, God, they're saying things just as bad as I'm saying. But yet they call themselves a Christian. Why would they want your Christ? Why would they want our Christ? See, we can't follow this world's philosophy. We have to be careful. We are not called to live life from Earth's point of view. We're called to set our minds on things above. And by the way, a simple way to do that is to ask yourself, would Jesus say that? If, if, before I hit send, when I'm typing, would Jesus say that? Would Jesus do that before I go and do that? Is that what Jesus would do? 
That's a good way of us to be able to evaluate whether our behavior is correct or not. So that first thing in practical Christianity is there's putting to death or getting rid of. The second thing I want to share with you is that there's putting on, clothing ourselves. Notice that the Apostle Paul in verse 12 said, therefore, God's chosen people, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, which Pastor Joey spoke about last week, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other. You know what that means? Put up with each other. I love that. You got to put up with me. My wife has to put up with me. The staff has to put up with me. Bear with each other. Uh Uh-oh. Forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. How many have received forgiveness from God? Come on, let me see your hand. We've all received forgiveness from God. And aren't you grateful that God, when he forgives, he doesn't hold an account against us. You know, we tell people sometimes, I forgive, but I won't forget. And what we really mean is, you're going to pay. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is, I release you from the hurt that you gave me. I will not hold that against you any longer. And over all these virtues, put on love that binds them together in perfect unity. See, what Paul was talking about is we need to display this godly character. And this is something that Paul covered often. In fact, when he wrote to the Galatian church, and he said this in chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, what Paul is saying is, it's not enough to put away sin. It's not enough to take a bath. I hope you've been taking a bath. You took a bath this You took a bath from? Okay. See, it's not enough to get clean. You got to put some clothes on. Can you imagine? No, I don't want you to imagine. Forget that. Forget that. Strike that. Stay with me. We think that the Christian journey, it's good enough to say, well, I, don't long, I no longer curse. I no longer do drugs. I no longer drink. Okay, that's wonderful. But what are you doing since then? There's got to be a transformation in the sense that I, I stopped this, but now I'm doing this. Sorry, camera, I went too fast. I <laughs> In other words, what Paul is talking about is, once again, this behavior, this transformation that takes place where you and I need to display the character of Christ. The gifts of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit just simply mean these are the character traits of the Spirit of God that dwells within you. We all need to display this. We all, the world wants to see a place where there is love, where there is patience, where there is kindness, where there is uh, uh, gentleness. All of these wonderful attributes of the Spirit of God need to be evident in your life and in my life. 
And that is also a lifelong process. Every single one of us, every single day, needs to ask God to fill us afresh and anew with his spirit so that we can display the character of Christ, so that we can display self-control, so that we can have patience with people, so that we can talk about and, and be kind and gentle and all these incredible attributes of the spirit of God. Why? Because they really don't dwell in you and I. Not apart from God's spirit. And somebody, by some chance, may have a little bit of patience, a little bit of kindness. But how, how much do we all know? In this world, that don't go very far. It doesn't take very long when you are not filled with the spirit of God to find yourself going back to getting angry. Going back to saying things we shouldn't say when something happens. And for me, the trap is always the supermarket. Yeah. I got to be prayed up before I go into the supermarket. I got, God fill me with the spirit. Why? Because I know what's waiting for me inside. It never fails. I think God always sends a little, uh, an angel in disguise of a little old lady that's in front of me in the line at the counter to pay. And, and I can't tell you how many times this has truly happened to me where she, she'll, she'll, to pay, she'll open up her little uh, change pocketbook and it's $5 and something and she's not paying with bills. It's all coins. And she's got to count every single one of them. And I'm standing online. And then the line that I thought I was going to be long and I got off of to get on her, that line goes, whoom, out the door. And in that moment, if I'm not filled with the spirit, I'll go, and in my mind, I'm taking that little old lady, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. <laughs> this is why you have to pray for your pastor. And there are times that happens in marriages, in family, when we're not filled with the spirit of God. It isn't very long before an argument breaks out. And it gets heated. And we say or do things that we know are wrong. And so we revert back to step one where we got to get rid of that stuff. But you can't just get rid of it. Then you got to go to God and get filled with the Spirit of God. See, there's putting off, but then there's also putting on. And then lastly, there's embracing godly community. Listen to what Paul said. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, meaning whether you're serving the church or whether you're doing something, saying something, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. You see, we're talking about now this third one, a godly community is where peace rules, where God's word dwells richly, meaning it's not just from the platform, 
but it's in fellowships and Bible studies. It's in youth meetings and children's ministry where people are being taught the unadulterated word of God. Where there is singing that is structured to encourage us, to build us up, to motivate us to praise and worship God. And I don't know if you picked it up, but how many, three times Paul said, use either gratitude or thanksgiving. Church ought to be a place where we are constantly thankful to God for what he has done, for who he is. As we sang to this morning, that he has never forsaken us, he never will, he never will abandon us, that no matter if we find ourselves going through the valley, we will not fear because God is with us. That in itself is sufficient enough for me to lift up my hands and say, thank you, God. Thank you for never abandoning me. Thank you for always being with us. There is no practical Christianity without a godly community. The Bible says this in Hebrews 10, 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some our people do, but encourage one another, especially now that that day of his return is drawing near. Amen. Let us not neglect our meeting together. And that word neglect just simply means to put aside as unimportant, to set a low priority to. Now, I want you to hear your pastor's heart. I know that this pandemic has put a strain on life. I know that for a season we were shut down, and that was difficult. I understand that even now there's guidelines that are put in place that we've got to wear masks when we come into the building and with the exception of those who minister on the platform uh, we, we allow them to take off their mask but everywhere else we're asking everybody to be masked and I, I get that there are some who are concerned about uh, well, if they come out of their doors that they'll get sick and so forth and they're trying to avoid that I get all that I really do but here's the thing that's been speaking to my heart. We go to work, even though there's a pandemic. We go to school, even though there's a pandemic. We go to the supermarket, even though there's a pandemic. And I don't know if you were there, but obviously we go to sports events, even though there's a pandemic. We go to people's homes and socialize, even though there's a pandemic. Listen to me now. I'm truly grateful that we can live stream for the benefit of those who can't be here. But I want to make sure that we understand if we can trust God to keep us when we go to work, if we can trust God to keep us when we go to school, if we can trust God to keep us when we go to doctor's appointments or the supermarket, why can't we trust God to keep us to come to church? We ought to be able to do that, right? We ought to be able to do that. It's my, I, I want, we need to, godly community. 
God did not create us to be uh, creatures that live on the outskirts all by ourselves. Again, I want to make sure you understand. I, I, I love and embrace the social media. It's our way of keeping contact with people who cannot make it for one reason or another. But we've got to make sure that we are not allowing fear to control our life. And another good way to examine that is to say, am I totally shut in? Because if I'm going out somewhere else, I really ought to be able to go out and go to church. Why? Because there's a blessing reserved that you can't experience through social media. You just cannot experience the presence of Almighty God, the manifestation of his presence at home. I know that because when we were shut down, I, I sensed that lack. We need godly community. We need that atmosphere where there's worship going on in the family of God. We need that atmosphere where there's prayer going up with the family of God. We need that atmosphere where we're hearing the word of God and being able to respond in that moment. And I know we can do some of that at home, but it's just not the same. And I know you know that. I know those of you who are with us online know that to be true. There is no substitute for the blessing of God's presence when we gather. There just isn't. And so I want you to hear my heart because more than ever before, we're being spiritually challenged. And I don't know about you, but I need the presence of God. I need all of you gather more than ever before because these are difficult times that we're living in. And we need as much grace from God. We need as much power from God as we can get. And, and a blessing of that is reserved for when we gather together in the house of the Lord. And so I just, again, a pastor's heart. Paul wanted to make sure this church recognized the importance of a godly community, that all the things that take place, that we should do it all, and then also give thanks as a result for all that God is doing. Pastor Jason, if you would come, please. We're talking about practical Christianity today. How we have, who believe, have to, structure our life, how we should live. Not theoretically, but practically, sensibly. We have to live setting our hearts and our minds on things above, meaning we're looking at life from heaven's point of view, receiving and obeying the directions we receive from God so that we can be ready when he returns. And in that practical Christianity, we're talking about putting to death, getting rid of the things in our life that the Lord has already pointed out, saying, you know this thing, I've been talking to you about it. It's gotta go. You gotta get rid of that stuff. And then it's every day going to God and putting on that new self, asking God to fill you with his spirit so that we can manifest the character of Christ. Because people don't need to see a better you. They need to see Jesus in you. That's what it's all about. And then lastly, that we never take lightly, that we never neglect godly community. That we need one another, brothers and sisters. We need to make sure that we guard that and don't allow the enemy to rob us by creating fear, or I'll say this, by creating laziness.
Come on, isn't it truthful? It's easy to stay home and watch it on, on the internet. In fact, you don't even have to get up and watch it for 10 o'clock because it's being recorded so you can get up whenever you want and then put it on later. But I don't think that's what God intended. In fact, I know that's not what God intended. 